We're looking at um, a series on the Spirit. And uh, last week we began it by looking at um, one of the things that the Spirit does. And uh, we suggested one of the things the Spirit would say to the church and indeed the Spirit who intercedes for us is come. And uh, today the Spirit, we want to look at the whole idea of the Spirit who calls us to live. The Spirit who calls us to live. Now, those of you that know me um, will probably have become aware of a certain lack of coordination. There are a number of things that I can't do very well. Anything that needs sort of me thinking about two things at the same time sometimes is beyond me. Uh, that will stretch to even walking on the pavement without falling off the edge of it. Um, so, if anybody ever needs this to happen, I'm probably not your man. All right, on account of the fact that you've got to do a number of different things to do that. But if you ever need it to happen to you and someone can do it for you, it is probably the most amazing thing that will ever happen to you. That someone will use their breath to fill your lungs to get you breathing again is quite. Um, it is quite remarkable. It's, 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 it's odd, isn't it? And has anybody ever had that happen to them? Or ever, you have? To a live person? I mean, <laughs> let's, let's, stop that, let's stop that thought and go a different way. <laughs> yeah, you did it. You've done it. You've done it. How many people could do this if it was needed this morning? Just put your hand up. Oh, we're in a safe place. Look at that. That is remarkable. No, no, no. We're not going to practice it. So those of you who have done it with a human being, what did it feel like? Because I know you can do it with the doll thing, can't you? Um, it's still scary, yeah. Sloppy. Oh, really? So it's like, and there is something about that, isn't there? There is something about that sort of, because obviously it's very intimate. Um, it, you kind of either are kissing somebody because you, you love them, or you're trying to get them to live. If you remember um, at the beginning of the Bible, uh, you've got the first two chapters of Genesis. And the first chapter of Genesis is like the big picture of creation. It talks about seas, it talks about land, it talks about everything. It's big. But then the second chapter kind of homes in and it's really small. It's about how God provides a garden. And in the garden, Adam and Eve are created. It's kind of a really small picture of creation. Chapter one's massive, chapter two's very small. And in that second chapter, when God forms Adam, it says this, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Right at the beginning of the Bible, the writers want you to know that the beauty and the complexity of humanity comes because God breathes in. That his life, his breath, 
his spirit is what enters you and enters me. That intimate picture of the kiss of life, where someone breathes life so you can live, is exactly the same picture that's there at the beginning of Genesis, where God, in the most intimate way, breathes his breath into our lives and we live. Quite a remarkable thought about how you might describe creation. Why are you so wonderful? That's actually essentially the question. Why are you so complex? Why does your brain work in so many remarkable ways that even now we're still struggling to understand? Because God's breath breathed into us. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And throughout the Old Testament, the writers were very aware that this life, the life of God, was necessary for people to really live. And at least in two different ways, they thought about how God's presence, this life of God, became very evident. In Chronicles, when they're writing about Solomon's temple, the brilliant place, the temple in the Old Testament was like the touching point between heaven and earth. This is where God would come. And at that touching point, when the temple is consecrated, when it's built and put together after years and years and years of design and build, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, the cloud of God's presence. And the priests couldn't perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. This place, this box, if you like, this temple in the Old Testament where you would be able to meet with God was filled with the presence of God. And then another writer later would write about what it was like when people went into exile, when they'd lost the temple, when they'd lost the land. And the great hope was God bring us home again. And Ezekiel wrote this in a vision. It's the part of uh, the bit that if I tell you, you'll start singing it. But it's where the knee bone was attached to the uh, uh, everything else. But actually the climax of that, putting together the skeleton of the people of God was this. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. The Old Testament had this twin idea that actually place, a certain place would be filled with the presence of God and that people, his own people, would be filled with his life and they would live, the temple and the people. And that they would be able to serve God's purpose. That God's design for the world would happen through the temple being the touching point between heaven and earth and the people being the filled people of God. So it's not a surprise when you get to the New Testament, you get this idea that actually God still wants to work in the same way. That God has a mission and he has a church. Someone said it like this. It's not that the church of God has a mission in the world, but the God of mission has a church in the world. I'm just... It's not the church of God that has a mission in the world. It's the God of mission who has a church in the world. 
The very reason we are formed together as a people is that we might be the agents of God in the world in which we are. It's not like some of us go, well, actually, I'm quite missional, and the rest of us go, well, I'm glad you are. It's actually that the reason we exist as the church is because God is a God of mission. And so the spirit and the people and the place and the mission of God come together and actually where they come together most clearly is in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And if you've got a Bible in front of you or that you can access, just turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the first few verses of that fairly well-known passage. And just think for a moment about what does it mean when God says to a church, live. So it's Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they, those were the disciples, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And Peter then goes on and tells them, actually what it means is that Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has sent his Holy Spirit. And this is a sign of what God is doing through his Spirit in the church. Just slow down enough with me. They're all together and the wind comes. A strong wind, a violent wind. And for those of you that know the Bible, you hear the echo of the first couple of verses in the Bible where God, by his spirit, is brooding over the waters. The wind of God is actually over creation. You've heard that idea that God is going to breathe into his exiled people. And you'll remember that when Jesus was doing his first sermon, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This spirit, the spirit who does new things, the spirit who creates new things, the spirit who comes into people who've been separate and distant, the spirit who does the work of filling Jesus, the spirit that comes by the wind into that place. And it fills the whole house. I 
I don't know if this actually will work as an analogy, and, and I was thinking about it before, this, uh, just as we were singing this morning, so forgive me those of you that are more technical than I am. When you came this morning, it was all misty and foggy and all the rest of it. And that's simply because, I'm really at the end of my knowledge now, okay? I mean, just to tell you it was misty is kind of like, that's as far as I actually know. So the next bit might not be true. So if it's not true, please don't make a cue at the end of it to tell me I'm wrong. I may be wrong. But it's, it's the obvious point, I think, that it was misty because of a certain condition this morning in moisture, in temperature, and anything else that might have been involved in that. Pressure, thank you. Okay. Most mornings we come to church on Sunday and it's clear. But this morning, same place, from the same, pla- from the same place to the same place, but the condition was different. Or potentially there on any morning, but this morning certain conditions come together and you get that effect and suddenly you kind of see the atmosphere. You become aware of it. Because normally you don't see it. Because it's clear. But of course, you still have moisture. You still have pressure. You still have atmosphere. It's just a different condition. I think on the day of Pentecost, what was happening on that morning was a certain bringing together of uh, conditions, if you will, And the place was filled with the presence of God. Always there, but that day particularly felt. And it's kind of interesting to me that you remember back to the temple where the presence of God filled the temple. And that was the touching point of heaven and earth. But here now, it's like a normal room. There, in the temple, it was only for priests to really enjoy. Here, it's for everybody. And suddenly this presence comes, not in the holy of holy places, but in the ordinary places. They weren't in church. They weren't in the temple. They were just in a room. But the presence of God comes and fills the place. And then they see what seem to be tongues of fire that separate and come to rest on each of them. That fire of cleansing, the fire of purity. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this presence of God that had been very evident in the room, suddenly it kind of, I don't know if this is helpful language, but it's almost like God invades And the breath of God, that breath that God breathed into Adam, now is the breath that God breathes into those who worship. That life of God comes to the old and the young, the powerful and the weak, the rich and the poor, the certain and the doubters, the hopeful and those who've lost hope. And they begin to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enables them. And on this occasion, the languages that they speak are real languages. Other people gather and they start to hear people speaking the praise of God in their own language. 
And I think what Luke's wanting to do, as he's beginning his major work on what's going to be like for the church, is he's wanting to give you a certain number of key references to say, this is what church is like. This is what it's like when God has a new people. That the stuff that was in the Old Testament, but that actually often was limited to a certain class of people, now is open to everyone. You caught that bit where people were saying, utterly amazed, they said, aren't these Galileans? Galilee was in the north of the country, and Galileans were thought to be a little simple because they were northerners. All right, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. If you were from Jerusalem, you had capital pride. And people in Jerusalem would go, these Galileans, they're thick as a brick, aren't they? They're sort of like the northerners. They speak in different accents. We don't understand what they're all about. And they come down here with the northern ways. <laughs> and all these people, all these northerners, were in Jerusalem. And that's why the comment is, aren't these people from Galilee? We might have understood it had they been educated. We might have understood it had they been the elite. We might have understood it had they been the educated class, the traveled class, but not Galileans. What does it mean? Well, one of the things it means is this is that when the Spirit comes, he creates a new people and it transcends your geographical or your national boundaries. The Spirit wants to create a new people of different backgrounds. We read this and the danger is that we settle for less than this. And we say, well, that's just then. But I really have the idea that when Luke is writing this, he's not just writing history. He's writing something to say to those who would read it, this is what God wants to do. Now because we're all human, you understand that some Sundays we come together and it's just very ordinary and we just do the business and we go home and it's like, well, that was okay. Nothing outstanding, but that was okay. And there will be mornings like that. But actually, the prayer, as, as Arthur prayed at the beginning of the service, the prayer is, God, we pray that we don't settle for that. We pray for more than that. But here's the thing. I reckon for some of us, had we been there on the day of Pentecost, we would have been frightened. Who's in control here? What's that noise? What's going on? Can someone calm it down a bit? And, and do you have to, do you, I mean, it's brilliant that suddenly you can speak Arabian or whatever it would be, but could you just do it quietly? Because I don't quite understand what you're doing. And I think that what Luke does in, when he's outlining the story of the church all the way through the book of Acts, is this is not a simple, safe place to be. It's not simply a place where you'll feel comfortable. But it's a place where God is. 
some of you have heard me use this before, but a, a writer called Annie Dillard, uh, an American poet kind of writer, um, she wrote about, uh, about times when she started going to church and she had, went to a little church in the middle of America and uh, a lot of the ladies wore hats. And she said, uh, they ought not to wear hats, they ought to wear crash helmets because we're coming to the living God. And it's a dangerous place. It's a wonderful picture, this idea of it's not a safe place. The danger is that this story is a story of history alone. But it's a story that should give us hope. But it's a story that also judges us. What sort of church could we be? Well, I think what Luke is wanting to say to us is that the sort of church we are is that we're the touching point between heaven and earth. What was true of the temple is now true of us. That actually, when we come together, there's something about that indescribable sense of heaven touching earth. It breaks in. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul talks in Corinthians about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Part of the problem, though, when we talk about church is that we just think about Sunday morning. But actually, this time tomorrow, church will be scattered. You'll be at work. You'll be with families. You'll be in your neighborhood. You'll be doing the stuff you do in your everyday life. And you will still be the touching point between heaven and earth. Because you're aware of the Spirit of God living in you. In the midst of our world, the church goes in the power of Jesus as the touching point between heaven and earth. The second thing is that the church is consciously made up of different people with different backgrounds. And I, I loved the idea in, in Acts when we were reading that they understood each other when they were hearing one another give praise to God. They were praising God and suddenly they understood one another. And it's kind of like this thing of, tell me your story of God. Let me hear what God's done for you. Let me hear you give thanks. And I'll understand you. It'll be different, because we're all different. And God does do different stuff with us. But let me hear your story. At the end, Ian will say, as he finishes the service, I'm not, I'm not saying he's predictable. <laughs> but he will say it. He's a northerner. He's just a, he's just a simple northerner. He'll say at the end of the service, uh, please stay. Have some coffee with us. Have some tea with us. And uh, if you're quick enough, get a biscuit um, before the kids. Um, and you can stay through there with us. And I've said before, we don't give you tea and coffee because we think you're thirsty. We don't give you tea and coffee because we think, actually, you can't go more than an hour and a half without caffeine. Although, probably for some of you, that is true. We give you, serve you tea and coffee because we think, if you're willing to stay for that, there's a chance you'll talk to someone you don't know. And you'll say, using your own language, 
Tell me your story of God. Tell me what's happened to you. Because then we're very different and our weeks are different and our lives are different. But tell me that. Because then I might understand you. As I hear you give glory to God, I'll understand you a little bit more. It's not just get to know one another as though we're some sort of mutual self-help group. Tell me about God. Now for some of us, it's like, oh, that is just so embarrassing. I could never even begin to ask that. And if someone asked me that, I suddenly would have to leave. If we can't talk about God here, you'll never talk about God anywhere else. And you've got to find your own vocabulary for it. You've got to find your own language for it. You've got to find your own style. But tell me a story of God. The Spirit, the breath of God, who, when the first mad Adam was being formed, breathed into him so that he would live. The same Spirit that came into a temple that otherwise would have just been an empty room and filled it so they would know the presence of God. The Spirit who came to an exiled people and said to dry bones, if you're going to really live, it's not enough just to have the appearance of being a nation, but you need the breath of God to be a nation. The same God, the same Spirit who came to a group of frightened disciples who were in Jerusalem, away from home, not certain what was going to next, is the same Spirit who says to me and you this morning, live. Let me breathe my life into you. Live. Experience me. And sometimes, you know, I, 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 for myself, I, I kind of shy away from the mystical, really, sometimes. And so this idea of, you know, come and fill our place. We were chatting about it when Ian was preparing for this morning with the, the songs that we sung. And actually, there's a lot of songs that have been written over the years about the Spirit coming and filling places. And sometimes I think that, that's great. And sometimes I think it can lead us down blind alleys. But the New Testament does have that sense that there are moments where suddenly the place becomes electric. And maybe our prayer is, oh God, let's not miss it. God, let me not miss it. God, let me not, let me not be so deaf that I can't hear. Let me not be so insensitive that I can't sense. Let me not be so blind that I miss what you're doing. Come and breathe again on our church. That we might be the people of God on his mission for his sake.